Welcome back to Beyond the Booth. I'm your host, Cameron Capers, and as always, follow Beyond the Booth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also find Beyond the Sound on Twitter and Instagram at B-Y-D-T-H-E-S-O-U-N-D. Today's guests are Marty and Daniel. They are two-thirds of Ebony Tusk. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing well. Thank you for having us. Of course. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Um, so something I've been doing over the past few years is I've been kind of diving into the history of um, hip-hop and punk music. Um, and Ebony Tusk obviously pulls inspiration from both of those genres. Um, you can hear that in this album specifically. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so feel free to in- answer this question individually. Um, who are some hip-hop and punk artists um, that kind of influenced you early on in your careers? Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in if that's okay, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I would, I would say um, that maybe some of my earliest influences on that front would have been Public Enemy, Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. Run DMC, Rage Against the Machine. Um, uh, definitely, uh, I, w- I would say even like early Deftones. Um, these are all bands that I kind of hold mm. up as pillars, um, as you know, foundational mm. for my sort of experience with, you know, the mashup of, you know, hip hop and metal and punk and hardcore and all of these sounds. Um, I was really, I was really fortunate that I started making music when I was really when I was really young, like my first band in high school, I would have been um, 16, maybe 15, 15, 15. Yeah. I I, I had a band in 1998 when I was 15 called the original. And we were like this sort of hybrid of incubus and the roots that came out sounding like (laughs) Limp Bizkit. (laughs) So, so um, I did that for a couple of years um, with my bandmates. And then pretty quickly thereafter, I discovered shoegaze and indie rock and went in a really different direction for a long time but um you know i mean that was a foundational experience and i'm still friends with a lot of those guys that i was in the band with um that's really and yeah I, i would say that um really what sort of got me back into doing hip hop period and what we're doing in ebony tusks would have been when the cool kids came out in 2007 um, their very first EP, uh, the Bake Sale EP, was a really powerful callback to the music I had grown up listening to in the 80s and the early 90s. Um, just the sort of, uh, you know, drum heavy, um, really saturated um, drum sound, uh, mm-hmm. you know, really powerful, straightforward, easy to understand lyrics, catchy lyrics. Um, and so... You know, at Ebony Tusk Infancy, I mean, uh, what they were doing was was uh, really informing a lot of what I was aspiring to do at that time, you know, when we would have started in 2009, 2010. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. What about you, Daniel? I mean, for me, like, I feel like, you know, we, I've been in Ebony Tusk, like, we, we have been Ebony Tusk for a long time, and I feel like people often ask about specific um, hip-hop acts, there, there are definitely some um, like that stick out. I mean, like, like Martin mentioned Beastie Boys. I definitely listened to a whole lot of Beastie Boys growing up. Um, I mean, just all, but, and like obviously Rage Against the Machine and, and some of those other acts. But I, I, I will say that for me, it's always been, I've always been less like lyrically inclined and more, more about um, production stuff. So mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that comes up a lot like th- throughout our, our time as a band like discussing different acts where like, i feel like marty will be like i love this song like and start talking about the lyrics and it's like oh shit like i never even thought about the lyrics right i just <laughs> I, I really listen mostly like uh, over time if i listen to a song like a thousand times i might hear the lyrics but uh, but really I, i'm more about the the production and stuff right um, and and really growing up like i i don't think i don't think this like and, and this is something that like geese who just jumped on will, will probably might echo a little bit but for mm-hmm. me, like, and I, and all of us, I mean, honestly, like, we have kind of a genre, a, a couple of genres we fall into, but we're always really, really keen to talk about the fact that those are, those, like, we like those genres, but we also just kind of like a, a, a huge range of stuff, and that's kind of just pretty much what any, like, uh, act that I think we've ever inter- interacted with would probably, would probably agree with. Like, so for me, like, growing up, I listened to, like, a lot of, like, real sad 
like emo type stuff like mm-hmm. Elliot, Elliot Smith is like one of my favorite artists of all time stuff like that um so which is like you know probably pretty far outside the genre of, of a lot of what we do right um, so so yeah I think that that's kind of where the, the range comes in mm-hmm. um and uh and yeah Geese joined us hey Geese hey what's up Geese <laughs> hey yo can you hear me guys okay yeah I can hear you Ooh, and I get a little waveform yeah <laughs> some inspirations uh early on in your career like who are some people that inspired you oh yeah well um i'm sorry to give you an answer that's gonna appear elsewhere you know it's like a thing that i don't like to do but i always have to say ludicrous um, <laughs> i love that actually <laughs> to answer this question um the the first one of the first cds that i ever had i think the first cd that i had that was not contemporary christian music in my life mm-hmm. um was now i think it was now seven or now nine i get it mixed up based on the track listing of where these songs were that i really liked right uh, but one of the now cds and my parents got it for me because it had like some britney spears and some in sync on it and i, and I loved britney i love britney spears still um, and i love in sync and justin timberlake um but on that now cd it had a rollout by Ludacris, which I was just fascinated with. I was just obsessed with this song. I love. I, I always just loved Ludacris for his delivery, and it always stuck out to me when I was younger, and like mm-hmm. really got me fascinated. Um, and then the next song was, um, I think the title of the song is "North Carolina" by P.D. Pablo. Okay. Uh, or "Raise Up" maybe is the title of the song. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, those are those are early influences for like me and hip hop. Well, uh, love bubblegum pop music in general. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in my later teen years listening to like Katy Perry and more Britney Spears <clears throat> and anything that would be on pop radio. I'm, I'm into it. Um, right. I spent a lot of time listening to like, I just always generally call it hardcore music, but like Screamo, My Chemical Romance is a huge influence for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my all-time favorite bands and like a band that i would die to see live i never got to see them um yeah, the ch- oh, i can't wait like i might go to riot fest this year just to see them oh, man. that's cool um thinking about it we'll see um let's see besides like my chemical is radiohead of course right like you can't be a band and make music and not say you're influenced <laughs> by radiohead um I've, I've been recently having to defend Kings of Leon to my friends. Oh my god, I love them so much, man! Thank you for saying that. Yes, love Kings of Leon. They're the new they, album is so sure, good. I haven't listened to it yet, but oh my god, dude, so good. Oh man, like I went and saw them on, I went and saw them at Sprint Center once, mm-hmm. and it was so killer. They're such a solid group. I I really yeah. enjoyed them um, quite yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, who's my craziest influence? I don't know. Yeah, I listen to anything I can. um if it's music i'll check it out i'm not really a big fan of like modern pop country like that drives me up the wall right um the stuff that's hip-hop uh basically like hip-hop influenced pop country music that no one wants to say is hip-hop right um yeah but like ludicrous always early on nelly country grammar oh my god you're hitting all of my childhood spots right now because uh yeah, I uh, I think my first Ludacris song I heard was maybe Gossip Folks, him and Missy Elliott, and that just like changed mm. my entire life. Like that video too, I was like, what is any of this? Right, yeah. Everything that Missy Elliott was doing around the same time frame, like early 2000s, holy shit. Like that, yeah, she's watching those videos. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, anything I can. Electronic music, Daft Punk. Like love Daft Punk, love mm-hmm. Justice. Um I really like, I got really into dubstep, you know, in the 2010s, like late 2000, right. uh, 2000s, early 2010s. Um, yeah, anything, anything I could absorb and listen to. Yeah, that's, and, that's and a explore. great list. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all over the place. I try to go a little bit right. of everything. Um, so not too long ago, I did an interview. Uh, his name is Tom Todd. He's out in California. It was a great uh, conversation we had. Uh, I wanted to actually correct myself because we were talking about uh, punk music a little bit. And I mentioned that the Strokes played a free show like, in a poor area of their city, but it was actually The Clash. I wanted to clarify that for anybody that may have listened to that one. Um, but anyway, cool. I bring that up because um, I recently finished an autobiography by um, – it was about HR from Bad Brains, which was a really good book. Mm-hmm. Um, and over this past year, I've been kind of uh, trying to balance, you know, how I want to be, like, active in the community when it comes to uh, stuff that's going on, obviously, and also taking care of my mental health. So I want to talk about Eb- Ebony Tusk. You guys, obviously, this um, – here. Heal thyself, excuse me. 
touches on a lot of political things. Obviously, we'll talk about that a little bit. But I wanted to ask how you guys, how has this band helped you grow as activists um, outside of a musical sense? Oh, that's great. That's a great question. I'll I'll start with this one. Um, I mean, significantly, um, if you look at me, oh, I'm too loud, says Daniel. Um, I don't know how to, <laughs> I'll mess with my settings really quickly. I don't know. Hey, you're right, good. Yeah, it didn't sound that bad on my end. Um, for me, if you look at where I was when this band started, or when I began working with Marty um, in 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. um, around the same time I was listening to a lot of dubstep. Um, but if, from then to now, like, I think that my perspective on everything in regards to like racial equity and justice, um, the idea of not the idea of, but just the impact of white supremacy in the United States mm-hmm. um, for minorities, for non-white persons, um, for non-binary persons, etc. Like for anybody who's not a straight white guy, such as myself, right. um, is monumental. Um, I am very grateful for getting to know Marty and Marty's. Um, I always say that Marty is a lover of people and community. Mm-hmm. I think he does that and personifies that brilliantly. If not, I don't know if there's a perfect personification of someone who loves people, but I think Marty is that. And so getting to work with Marty, getting to see the way that he works actively all the time to better his community and the people around him is inspiring. And I, I personally, like, I'll straight up say, I feel like I don't do enough. Um, Mm. I feel like as an activist, like I'm, I'm getting there, I'm taking some of those steps, I'm trying to keep educated, and, you know, actively work as an ally in every way that I can in my day to day life, the things that aren't day to day for me trying to get better about those things, like going out of my way to be an ally to be anti racist, if you will. Um, Which I think is really important. I think that you know, to quote any, uh, to quote like a protest sign. And maybe that's, maybe that's not the best way to go about it. But I, I strongly agree with like white silence is violence, you know, like, if, if I'm not actively aware of, and utilizing the privilege that is given to me by this horrible system to fight against it, then I'm fucking up. Right. Um, So that's, that's kind of my my mission statement. And I would say that that growth is that mindset was nowhere near where it was a decade ago when we started doing all this together. Mm -hmm. Marty, what about you? You know, it's interesting because I answered this question uh, recently for some friends of mine and I told them that, you know, the truth of it is, is that, you know, I'm very grateful. Um, you know, that the three of us, along with our engineer, George, got to see this album all the way through, bring it to completion, get it out into the world. But um, what I realized a long time ago before its completion is that, you know, it's a deeply traumatic and traumatizing album for me. Um, A lot of the reason why I started Ebony Tusks was to honor some of my art friends from really young that had passed away. Um, one of whom uh, was murdered, the other two had committed suicide, and these were people, you know, that I came into making music with and sharing community with when I was very young. Um, So, you know, as I'm writing the songs and telling the stories from song to song, I'm just remembering, I'm keep, you know, they, they were sort of like my North Star, thinking about Richard Stewart in Taiwan, like, Yeah, so I think for me, you know, the truth of seeing Heal Thyself through to completion with Daniel and Geese and our engineer, George, is that, you know, while I'm excited and feel really grateful, um, you know, that we were able to get it completed, um, you know, a lot of what I talk about is very traumatic and still traumatizing because um, 
I wrote a lot of the songs to honor my dead friends, particularly Richard Stewart in Taiwan, who were also fellow artists of mine from from when I was younger. And um, so I had them in the back of my mind the entire time, just thinking, you know, are these would these songs impress them? You know, would would the truth that I'm telling in these songs would they recognize it? Would they recognize the Topeka that I'm writing about in these songs? You know, so in a lot of ways, it's funny because uh, the the material is exists out of time, out of sync with you know modern times. You know, because it's very much a reflection of the Topeka that we grew up in in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. Um, uh, just you know, bringing some of those stories to bear feeling a responsibility to do that um you know um it was definitely an arduous process you know the writing process you know and i think um geese and daniel and george eternally for their patience with me because you know i was you know every song in a lot of ways was a reckoning um you know of a part of my past that you know i wasn't necessarily ready to deal with so um so i I think the nice part is that I made a commitment to myself, you know, coming out of the creation of the album is that, you know, I would definitely like to not only chase new sounds and topics, but um, to write from a more joyful place uh, and to write from a more emboldened place, a more empowered place. And so that's kind of been the journey I've been on, um, you know, since we finished recording in. I want to say that was early 2019. Um, so as I've been composing material, just trying to write and dig from a different place um, that, that reflects another part of who I am. You know, I think that that's really, you know, it, it's a good challenge. Um, but, you know, it just provides another glimpse into the world that, that we're trying to create. Um, uh, I would definitely say that it's funny because, you know, as a lot of people have heard the album, the feedback that they've, you know, that I had friends, you know, back in 2015 and 16 who would ask me, like, are you worried about, you know, like not hitting a wave, like when other like noise rap stuff was really popular. Um, and I told them no, because, you know, I truly believe that there's no one out there who would have written Heal Thyself the way that we did, or who would have put together an album the way that we did, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, never mind our influences and never mind our, you know, would-be peers out there in the music world. No, Nobody could have done what we did. Um, and, and, and I truly believe that. And I think that's reflected right. in the material and then also the people that have responded to it that, you know, that see themselves in it and that have wept openly to it and admitted that to us and have shared it, you know, with their friends and you know, we're really proud of that. I think we did something that, you know, re- reflects a very specific slice of the Midwest that um, wouldn't have been portrayed otherwise. So, no, I agree with you, uh, Daniel. Before we get to you, I wanted to bring up something you said. I'm already about um, like, like writing from a place of trauma. Um, that's something I've been kind of reckoning with too. Is like even with you know, the podcast and Beyond the Sound and all that, like, I don't want everything I do to be rooted in, mm-hmm. like, my trauma as a black bisexual guy in the Midwest, you know, but it's, like, also, I can't, like, run away from that, that's who I am, it's a part of my identity, and it, it colors my life that I live, so it's, like, really trying to find that balance of, like, not everything being rooted in my trauma, but also having conversations like these that are hard to have, but are also ultimately important, um, so I definitely identify with that, um, and yeah, I I understand what you're saying with that completely. So I wanted to say that yeah to kind of like kind of validate what you just said because it's definitely something I've been going back and forth with. And also, um, geese you mentioned like not doing mm-hmm. enough. That's something else I also deal with. It's like, um, just dealing with the trauma and like my own mental health and trying to like be better and also do my part and then feeling helpless too. So it's like yeah, all these different things. So, um, yeah, what both of you said definitely rings true in different ways. Um, and then uh, Daniel, uh, what about you? So I think the original question was just about how like being at Ebony Test has has altered the way that we we choose to try and engage with some of these issues that we care about. Yeah. And for me, I'm gonna take a different spin, which is um, the the spin I have on it. But it's also fortunate because 
that way we we have some some variety in our, in our takes because I feel like for me you know um growing up like I grew up in a very like politically minded household where politics were discussed all the time like a lot of members of my family are pretty politically active and have always been really progressive mm-hmm. um, like my grandparents were were investigated by the FBI for for being in the Communist Party oh wow stuff like that so uh, so like the you know the the drive to do this stuff w- was always something that that I was into and you know growing up I was involved in like different political clubs and stuff in, in high school mm-hmm. stuff like that but I guess for me the part of um, being Ebony Tusk which has influenced how I approach those things is really more about just breaking down the perceived barriers that exist to actually like try and enact change mm-hmm. and this is something that I, I try and talk to like people about pretty frequently especially younger people and, and some colleagues of mine who feel like they aren't necessarily capable of, of entering into some of these realms and making the changes that are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just being in a band for a long enough time, I feel like in the music industry, there's also sort of these perceived barriers. You know, there's the barrier between the audience and the stage, the idea that the person who's on the stage is fundamentally different than the person who's in the audience and the, the idea that the person who's in the audience couldn't get on that stage and perform in the same way. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. And, you know, I think as a band, we, we always try and encourage people to uh to try and break that barrier and try and encourage people like i say this all the time that um like wanting to be in a band is more important than knowing how to play instruments or even knowing anything about music just like the desire to be in a band um is is kind of what you need to get going mm-hmm. um so I, I feel like we're always trying to encourage people to 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 do take that step and so for me now um as far as trying to ma- see changes happen at least for me, like I, I, I'm generally pretty focused on, on local stuff. Um, it's just kind of try, trying to instill that same idea in people that, you know, if you want to see something change in your community, um, even though maybe there's some words that, that make it seem like, oh, I can't go in and be involved in this change. Like it's not actually really the case. Like um, you can you can show up and, and you can make a difference. And sometimes there's situations where it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems can seem hopeless, but. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think I've seen a lot of people do that. I've seen a lot of people just, you know, re- refuse to acknowledge the idea or, or accept the idea that uh, they, they can't walk into a room and, and make a difference just by by uh, speaking their truth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try and encourage other people to do that. And then for me, I'm fortunate, you know, like Mar- Marty and I both work in, in, in jobs where we can be involved in, um, you know, like trying to make progress for the community. Uh, which is really nice because, um, you know, if you have a job where you, you spend all day doing something which isn't community minded, then you have to get, you know, get off work and you're tired and then make time and, and put effort into trying to make those changes outside of work. And I mean, for me, I, I still do some some stuff outside of work on top of that. But, um, you know, that feeling deep down inside that you need to make a change in the world when you work in a nonprofit that is, you know, focusing on, on racial equity and stuff like that. It, it does, you know, make it easier to not just, um, you know, you know, get over that that exhaustions, you know, that you might feel if you're if you're getting off work and then trying to, to put in the work outside of in addition to your job. So, um, so yeah, that's really what, what it's been for me. And I feel like, you know, because of my experience being in a band and sort of seeing some of those barriers br- break down, I've been much more willing to just hop into all sorts of different things and, and you know join join commissions or, or whatever, whatever is needed to be a person who can advocate for the, the right kind of change right no, that's a good point um so i'm going to change gears here and discuss the album or your debut album heal thyself uh, came out in november of last year and i was doing some more research just reading about you guys um, while i was prepping for this interview um, and i read that it's been actually a decade in the making for this album and so i was curious to know um has this been something you guys have been working on since uh, the inception of ebony tusk or was it after it started? How did this kind of the timeline? Sure, I'll jump in here. Um, we, I would say it probably started in earnest after 2014. Um, that this was sort of a pivotal moment for me. I think mm-hmm. maybe Geese and Daniel will agree, or they'll have another perspective on it. But I know that we played a show September 11th of that year with our friends in Heartfelt Anarchy and with Clipping at Replay Lounge. Um, and, you know, I, I just remember a clipping self-titled album had just come out and 
um, you know, I was really enjoying it and, uh, you know, it was, it was a great show top to bottom. Heartfelt Anarchy is probably, you know, my single biggest local influence for, for Ebony Tusks. You know, like I, I saw them in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest and said, like, this is exactly what I want to do. Like this experimental confrontational sort of thing. Um, and that was Conductor Williams and Less is More. Um, back when they still had heartfelt anarchy going, but, um, the clipping, um, you know, ended up being some of the nicest people, you know, that we stay in touch with even after all these years. And they're very encouraging to us at that point in time and told us, you know, have you thought about going on tour, yada, yada, yada. And so I think for me, it was like a switch that flipped where it was like, Oh, okay, well maybe, you know, we really could, um, we could, we could do this. So, um, you know, I think we just started having more, like we had already been talking about, you know, what an album would look like or how that would take shape. But I think from 2013 to 2016, we were kind of on a mission to be like the best live act that we could be. I think we really wanted to, just like everything that Daniel was saying is like, I think we were just, you know, putting ourselves through a crash course of how many barriers can we remove in a single show on any given night no matter who we're playing with, um, whether it was like a mixed genre local bill or whether it's opening up for Tulip Quali at Granada, like how many ways can we refract ourselves in front of various audiences in a way that makes us feel more free? So, you know, I think we had spent um, about three years working on that. And then uh, come late 2015, uh, uh, we, we decided we were going to go in the studio with George. Uh, he, he had a recording studio in central Topeka called Rundown Studios at the time that he had acquired from another family friend of mine, Paul Schneider. And, um, uh, you know, it was, it was super cool because um, uh, George has a background playing punk rock music, uh, being a punk rock drummer, um, and I think it was a similar experience for him, you know, where he experienced a lot of growth uh, through that through that three years, you know, from 2016 to 2019. But one thing I'll never forget is like when we went in and sat down with him, uh, I remember like the first song I played for him to give him a reference for, you know, what I wanted the recording to be was uh, Canal by Rat King uh, from their debut album, So It Goes. Um and it was nice because I think it was sort of a nice way to, to, to christen the experience, you know, of what would be like a years long recording process. But it was also just like, you know, here is a great example of like raw, pure expression put through a hip hop lens that I think he immediately identified with, you know, coming from his like punk background. Um, and so you know, it made recording those first three or four songs really fun because I think he, 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 he got it really quickly. Um, so does that answer the question? I don't even remember what the question was now. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Yeah, I was just wondering, because um, you guys have been a band for so long. Sure. And, uh, the album just came out last year, and I was just wondering, um, like, how, was that always kind of the plan, you know, and that was that kind of like premeditated or not? Um, but yeah, I, I think that's interesting for sure. And what you said about um, playing live, uh, sorry to cut you off, Daniel. Um, oh no, it's, it's fine. I just wanted to ask Marty, what, what is the what's the oldest song on the album? Is it is it Chuck D's? Is that is that the is that the oldest one? I just want to point out, like, it's not like it's not like we like the the songs on the album are are, are much less than yeah. ten years old. Right? Yeah, that was my initial question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I Chuck mean, D's. Yeah, what, is, is Chuck D's the oldest? Well, one? I finished. It's, here's the deal. I finished. I finished the beat for Chuck D's like December of 2012, right? But, and it's definitely like the oldest song that we've been performing oh, wow. from the album. But uh, the beat for Hell Above Here Below or Hell Above or Here Below, I made in 2011 because I remember playing it that winter for you, Daniel, and Dan Lucky in my car uh, outside of the bottleneck. Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. That was definitely. Yeah. 
That was yeah, definitely right, 2011. Right. I remember it was like the first mix down of that beat that I had done. And I it just the, the way I used to mix was really awful. So like, I wasn't happy with it. But then as we, you know, as we came into recording the tail end of the album and I was like, you know, we need something else. And then I remembered, oh, we still have, we still have this beat from, you know, eight years ago <laughs> that I, uh, that, that I never did anything with. And so, um, yeah, but tech, yeah, I guess like, on, you know, on paper, Chuck D's is probably the oldest because it was definitely the first one from the album that we started performing as far back as like 2013. So. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, I was going to bring up the point you said, Marty, about uh, playing live and how you guys always try to like do different things and try different things. And it really speaks to the album. Um, if I listen to it for the first time, it feels very... Um, not sure. isn't the right word, but it feels expansive. If that makes sense, like um, like a story, and it, it felt like nothing, no, like no song sounds the same, and it all stands alone. And I mean that in a good way, obviously, um, because I think a lot of times um, artists of any genre will basically kind of just throw anything that sticks to the wall, mm-hmm. and they just want to like have like one or two like good singles, you know, and they don't really think about the album as a whole cohesive piece. And um, heal heal thyself really feels like. Um, you guys took your time with it, and it wasn't like you were just trying to release an album for the sake of saying you released an album, and that's uh, really beautiful, especially, you know, the time we live now where uh, social media, the music industry, it's like, everyone, like, stuff's getting cranked out literally every day, so um, it can feel overwhelming sometimes to just kind of take your time with something, and uh, that definitely shines through through the album, and I wanted to talk about um, the writing, uh, the lyrics versus the arrangement of the songs. Uh, Marty, you brought up earlier that Public Enemy is the influence for you. Uh, which is crazy that you said that. Cause I was going to bring them up because um, the way you rap um, is reminiscent to like uh, the Tribe Called Quest and like Public Enemy and like that kind of older hip hop. And that's like the first thing that came to my mind. I was listening to this. So, um, for example, like uh, Alpha Dog, um, the flow that you had in that song is almost like um, uh-huh. a freestyle kind of in a way if that makes sense. Um, so I was wanting to know, like, when you guys are writing, is it like you start off with lyrics and music or like because the songs are very um immersive in a way sure yeah i'll give a shorter answer and then i'll let uh, daniel and geese answer it um really it's a little bit of both it just kind of depends on what the song is you know um uh, chuck d's is a great example of a beat that Mm -hmm. you know i I spent a a long time crafting before i finally wrote to it um alpha dog is another one um uh, where i was using this really distinct organ sound um from an organ that that um I had modded by uh, a guy named Tom Wagner, old music veteran in Lawrence, uh, who put a fuzz pedal on one of my organs. And so I spent a lot of time tinkering with the sound. But, uh, you know, there's, oh, wow. a, yeah, there's a couple songs on there where, that's really cool. Um, you know, the lyrics came first or the lyrics were concurrent uh, with the beat, you know. Um, Geese, Daniel, what's, what's your perspective on it? We have a really disjointed. Um, writing style i think like when i i I used to work in um in the christian music industry and i got to see like a writing session where you sit down in a studio and you have like seven writers and everybody just like somebody picks up a guitar and somebody starts humming a melody and like i think that a lot of people when they hear like oh yeah we wrote a song that's kind of what they imagine it's just like a few people sitting around a room kind of hashing out ideas um with three adults who live in three different cities um, spread about an hour and 20 minutes across the highway. Um, We don't do that very often, if ever. I don't know if we've ever actually all sit. Well, that's not true. We have done that. But for the most part, um, sometimes it's going to be Marty like, hey, I have these these lyrics written. Check out these lyrics. Or um, an acapella. um, Or Dan saying yo i check check out this youtube video of this crazy weird sound i grabbed a sample of it here's the link here's the sample make something you know if you guys want to make something with it or any one of the three of us throwing something in the dropbox or the drive Mm -hmm. and saying hey here's this here's this thing i just whipped up tonight what do you think i think it has i think it has some legs you know what do we want to do how do we want to tweak it should i send you the stems like whatever um so it's it's a very like it's a very 21st century version of the postal service. Um, if we were going to name our band the way that the postal service did, because we did use the same method, yes. it would just be called Google drive. 
um, or Dropbox, you know, um, but it's it. a horrible band name. Um, it's a terrible Dropbox. <laughs> Dropbox sounds like that'd be hard as fuck, though. Like, Dropbox maybe sounds like I might die at the show, like in a good way, you know? Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of, you know, it's just kind of broken up. But I think even through the. I would consider it a limited amount of time we get to spend with each other face to face. Um, at least I consider it limited because it's not as much as I would like to. Um, and I think we all feel that way. It's like, man, I wish we could see each other more and spend more time together in person. Um, with that kind of in mind, <clears throat> we've all kind of gotten familiar and comfortable in that space though. I think that we learned how we can work uh, effectively and get the things that we want. And that's meant first, you know, some of us, like, I know that there are times when Marty's like, oh my gosh, just do, just write me a beat geese, you know, <laughs> or at least that's what I tell myself in my head. And then Marty's like, okay, well, geese isn't going to write a beat this week. Cool. Like I'll grab something out of the drive and write to that or what, you know, something along those lines. So we've all kind of learned what works for us in our workflow, I think with that kind of right. um, just spread out approach. Yeah, and I think there might be, I'm trying to think if there's an example of a song, like we definitely have songs that um, start lyrics and then, and then, you know, we, we do the production and we definitely have songs that start production, but I'm trying to think, and, and Marty will know, cause Marty is good at remembering things and I'm not, uh, if we have any songs where one of us produced the track and then Marty had written lyrics separately and then they were married together, even though they weren't originally intended to. That's the only, I'm not, I'm not I think sure that there's some transplanted that, lyrics again, that have happened, but I don't know. Yeah, Marty knows. I don't. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's tricky. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah. Check. Check these. Oh, um, no, 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 no. Yeah, I got it's, it. Um, it's interesting. I think the closest that we would have come to that was like Saint Something Street, because oh, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I think I think I started writing those lyrics independent of the beat. And then I realized like, oh, these would fit this beat really well. Um, yeah, like once once I really got my head around it. Um, it's funny because, you know, one thing that I really appreciate about Daniel is that, you know, as we were going through that period where we were playing a lot of shows from 2013 to 2016, um, he would use the time for sound check. Uh, to play new beats that he had worked on and sometimes I would forget those beats so speaking of being forgetful <laughs> I remember one time we were playing at the Iowa Music Store in Ames, Iowa and he played the beat for You Runner which he had already sent to Geese and I and which I had heard but didn't really hear it and then when he played it like right before our set I turned and looked at him and I was like what is that and he was like oh I sent you this beat a while ago <laughs> um but, but I just appreciate it so much that uh, Daniel was insistent. I would definitely count him as like the sonic architect of the album. Like he probably has like the most like production credits from song to song, um, which I think is super cool. I think that that helped shape not only our sound, but like the integrity of it is as, as much as like what I'm doing lyrically. Um, uh, because you know he presented so much uh, material, um, which is which is super helpful. Yeah. No. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Yeah. That's that's funny. I mean, you're right. You're right. I definitely. I think I do have the most uh, production credits on the on the album. But it's like it's like right. I have four, and then you both have three. Like it's not <laughs> like it's still it's still it's pretty pretty close. Right. Right. But uh, I I do yeah. I, I know you mean Marty. Like hearing it in a different context is 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 crucial sometimes, and 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 for sure. Like there's a lot of times this happens. This is something that happens all the time where like Geese or I produce a, a a beat, and then Marty's like, you know, as far as like the structure of it, like the lyrics pretty much dictate the structure. And I mean, for me, I I don't I'm not super, you know, if if it needs to be eight bars leading into eight bars or sixteen into eight or whatever to accommodate lyrically what Marty wants to do, like I'm I'm happy to um shrink and shrink and stretch stuff what however right no yeah and it's um yeah this is definitely one of those albums where it's like i love about music and these kind of albums specifically it's like there's always something new to hear and that's what i love about music in general it's like 
I've listened to this album like probably 40 more times. Mm-hmm. And, like the 39th time I'll hear some I've never heard before, you know. And I really I, love that about music. I, I appreciate you saying that you that you think of like every track as being like kind of its own thing or whatever. Because mm-hmm. I, I I'm very like aware that like the age we're living in right now is more like a song kind of a song focused um, world as far as music is concerned. I think that you know what we were talking about as far as like releasing an album with two really good singles and then everything else can be kind of filler. Right. I mean, honestly, with streaming, like you can just release two good songs and not even really put it onto an album and like still have a lot of success. Exactly. Like, I think that's actually like a pretty winning formula mm-hmm. just to be more song focused um, and, and do it that way. But for me, the way I like to listen to music really is like uh, on an album level. Like, I like to listen to full albums front to back over and over. Um, I don't like to listen to individual songs really out of context. And so for me, like, it was definitely important that the whole album be like a cohesive thing that makes makes sense together and has yeah you know variety and every track has its own merit and stuff like that so i i don't actually think that that's like if you're looking to just like i don't know be be a successful musician i don't know if that's necessarily an important part of the formula but for me as far as like enjoying music that's super crucial no definitely um yeah i think you guys could even be one of those bands where it's like you have the 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 resume and the, the ear to just do like you know a basic like just chorus verse chorus you know basic album but i think i like that you guys you know really are doing what is true to you and what you want to do um so yeah it, it can be hard to do that in a world where everyone you know is like just throwing out singles like you said um and yeah like i said this album really it's um it, it kind of represents uh i don't know how artistic integrity i guess you could say uh and being true to yourself and that can be really hard a lot of the times but um something else i wanted to talk about um especially in Kansas City, Missouri, something I've realized over the past few years is a lot of local labels that have really been pushing a lot of these bands. And that um, goes the same for you guys. You've been uh, working with High Dive Records, and they uh, released this uh, most recent album, Heal Thyself. And so they started in 2013. I just wanted to know, how have you guys initially... Sure. So I used to be in a band called Cowboy Indian Bear uh, from 2008 to 2014. Uh, We were signed to the record machine uh, through the duration of our... Um, existence as a band so we put out um, a couple full-length albums uh, uh, an EP a seven inch and some other other singles and things Mm -hmm. Um, and I I specifically recall um, my buddy Evan Ashby his family owns a coffee shop near the crossroads district called Mildred's Coffee House he played in a cool band called Every Day Every Night and Mm -hmm him and his bandmate Jared Tomasino and their bandmates they would put together like this really cool summer festival um uh so they would just take up the intersection nearest Mildred's coffee house and erect a stage and have bands playing I'm pretty I'm pretty positive this is where I met Jeff because um um, and this would have been like 2013 so shortly before Cowboy Indian Bear broke up and he approached me and just said hello and um, I was familiar with Shy Boys um, because uh, their their membership used to play in a couple other bands called the ACBs and the Abracadabras that, um, that we were closely acquainted with that we played shows with and I had booked them in Lawrence a lot and stuff so then you know Shy Boys was was coming up with High Dive and you know I just remember Jeff being real friendly I'm pretty sure that's where it was. It might have also been middle of the map, so like, just forgive me either way. Um, but you know, he 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 was always like a real <laughs> like straight shooter, which I liked. Um, always just like a real nice guy, and I noticed that he was liking a lot of our posts on Instagram around 2015, 2016, and so I just said, "What the heck?" You know, maybe I should reach out to him. So I said, "Hey, you know, thanks for liking our post." Uh, you know, we'd certainly love to talk to you about possibly putting out a record. And he was up for that conversation. Um, and uh, this was before we had recorded a note. I remember Geese and I went to dinner with him at Dempsey's in Westport when it was still there. Um, and it was cool because I think we had like some really practical goals, um, really attainable goals, you know, didn't have too many like demands, so to speak. And he was just really open to everything. Like he just said, yes, like, yeah. I, you know, I think that's a great idea, like whatever you guys want to do. And I think that that was really encouraging, um, you know, because I was sort of used to 
having a lot more feedback um, from different labels that you know I either worked with or was having conversations with. So it was just so nice and refreshing to talk to Jeff and feel like you know his support was there. And he understood how autonomous we had become at that point, how much mm-hmm. stuff we had done on our own and made it clear he didn't want to get in the way of that. So um, so then he uh, then he came to see us play. We opened up for Bus Driver at Riot Room and our good friend Eric Farlow, a.k.a. Far Out. Shout out to Indie Ground Records. He actually yielded some of his set time so that we could play our full 30 minute set because there were a number of openers on the bill. Um, almost all of them were affiliated with Indie ground and steady P and all those guys. They've been so great to us over the years. They've always supported us, um, given us a lot of opportunities. So, you know, um, many thanks to them. And that was just another situation where they just really showed up for us where Eric just played 15 minutes and he was like, I just want to make sure you guys can play your full set. So, we got a chance to, and uh, that's really cool. Um, and and Jeff was there, and 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 he loved it, and he said, "Yes, please, you know, I would love to put this album out." So, um, and then we started recording it shortly thereafter, and um, and uh, yeah, so that's how that's how we got acquainted with him. And I mean, like I said, I mean, he's just been a straight up guy ever since. You know, I've I've, I've sent his um, when when she was an infant, I sent his daughter some some clothing. For her for her little birthday and you know we try to keep each other keep up with each other on life stuff which i think was like really the most important thing to me it's like you know i just want to know you as a person um you know late labels come and go music comes and comes and goes you know vinyl tapes all that stuff is just you know um material that um you know he's he's the kind of person i do want to have a relationship with you know regardless so Mm-hmm. Right, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, as we start to wind down here, I have like just one more question, really. Um, so obviously, live music is in your biggest spot. But I saw recently you guys did a live performance with Coop Sessions. Um, so first of all, how was that? And then uh, it's a two-part question here. And then it's kind of moving forward. Um, do you guys have any plans? Um, or are you guys just kind of you know? Uh, I'll I'll answer this question and then pass it off to these guys. Um, working with Coop was fantastic. Um, I have such respect mm-hmm. for for what they do and for how supportive they were. Um, the behind the scenes of that day was we had lots of technical difficulties mm-hmm. and it took us a very long time to get set up um, as a result. And they were unbelievably patient. We even had like the false start moments of like, <laughs> okay, we've worked everything out. The, the sh- cameras are shooting, the audio is recording. Okay, everybody's silent. Okay, let's start, great. And then dead. And that happened twice. Um, yeah. And, you know, anybody who's played a show has had that happen. And, um, they were just so like, for me in that moment is where you see someone's character, you know, like when they get their patience gets tested. Um, and they, everybody who was there was just unbelievably patient with us, super chill, helpful in every way that they could be. Um, and then in addition to just being phenomenally great people and dealing with, us and and that situation they also produce an unbelievable video like it sounds fantastic it looks awesome um i'm like you know as somebody who is in a band it's really nice to go oh my gosh like we got these new photos we got these new videos we got this new recording it's so tight um so i'll just say uh from my end like unbelievable i i would do if every live show we had every performance we ever did went at like that did i will I, i don't I can't imagine it going that smoothly, that easily being treated that nicely and patiently all the time. Um, and then as far as plans, um, short answer, no, um, taking it easy. I think we're all like, we're all firmly planted. At least I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'm in the better safe than sorry camp when it comes to like COVID precautions. And, um, like if somebody asked me like, you know, to play a show next month or two months from now and say, Hey, like, you know, I, I got my first shot, like I'm working on a vaccine myself and that's great, but I also don't want to be, I would feel so terrible if we played a show and then, Hey, we got the contact tracing phone call, you know, like I, I would be beside my, like, I, I, yeah, I just don't want to, 
I don't know, no disrespect to the artists, to the labels, to people who are playing shows. Cause I totally, it's, it's no. such a tough, impossible yeah. decision. Um, but for me, like I just, I would, I would be devastated mm-hmm. if I would feel at fault, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's what I got. Right. I understand that completely. Yeah. So I'll say like, for me, the, the coop session, it was, it was obviously like, we had a, we had a good time doing it and and every all that stuff was was good but uh, like I definitely feel like the the video and the um, the audio that that came out of that to me is actually like I think that might be like the the best representation I mean obviously I think our album managed to to capture a lot of like what our live show is about but if you want like a really accurate distillation of what it's like to be at one of our live shows I think watching that coop session is is the single best thing we have that where we can point to that you know from a distance and say this is this is what it's like this is like an accurate representation mm-hmm. uh i after we uh like geese commented on the technical difficulties and like how long it took us to get set up and uh i was actually really like to me like that i took that as a really good sign i i ran into chris luxum um the day after or maybe like a few days after it um after the video released and he was talking about talking about how, how good it sounds because it does sound amazing and i was telling him that um when we were setting up, you Longer, know, yeah, it took us like forever. It took us like to get set t- up. double that, I, I think, at least was. in my head. And, and, and how to, to me, like if, if I'm playing a show or like we're doing anything, whether it's a, a video, like whatever it is, if, if we like get our stuff set up and like sound check in like five minutes, like that, that is like, yeah, that's, that's like a, a red flag. <laughs> so when, when getting stuff set up and, and everything, you know, like ready to go takes, yeah, like, an hour or whatever it is like you know that, that is gonna like the the results of that is going to be like some really fantastic audio because like the care is put into it um and we definitely kind of expressed that when we were there with them that like you know the pa- the patience is, is part of the recipe for success 100%. um so yeah i was super happy with how it came out and and yeah it was it was fun to, it was fun to do it um I'll, I'll say for me like we, we've talked a little bit about like next steps stuff like i'll agree with with geese that like we, we were very fortunate in that we didn't really have big plans on, as far as live shows and stuff mm-hmm. this this past year. We were already kind of planning on taking some time off after releasing the album, so that's cool just to, like, you know, uh, take it easy. Um, I think from a, not, like, necessarily a live performance standpoint, but from a production standpoint, like, we've to- tossed around um, some ideas about possibly doing, like, a little bit of follow-up stuff or making some new music. Um, and I'm still definitely into that, and I think that, I think that, that something like that might come out of it maybe not maybe not a uh like something in a conventional sense like we've talked a lot about trying to like kind of um you know get away from sort of the stereotypical ways in which people necessarily like package or or present music and so i think we could maybe do something interesting but i mean for now yeah we're all just kind of i mean everybody right now in the world is just trying to like get through their stuff you know the pandemic is ridiculous and so um I, I, I feel bad for anybody who, who, um, who doesn't have the luxury that we have, you know, we we're pretty comfortable to, you know, sit back and, you know, we have, we have this album that we're very proud of, um, and we can, you know, interact with people, but for us not being able to get into the recording studio or not being able to go play a live show right now, isn't really like a, a huge hindrance. Whereas I know a lot of people that we're friends with are, are, are struggling with that, obviously in the live music industry. Um, but also some people who are, um, performing, you know, people who would perform, you know, like once a, once a week, you know, people who are really getting out there, who that was like a huge part of their, just their, their lifestyle, not having that is, is a huge loss. So mm-hmm. we're, we're very fortunate that, you know, we, we do miss it to a certain extent, but I think we're also, you know, we're all, we're all doing pretty, pretty fine. Yeah. And I think it's also right? just a reflection of the standard that we hold ourselves to, um, as a band and the community that we corral around our music, I think we would, um, just like uh, Geese had mentioned, um, I think we'd all be devastated if we knew that, you know, any one of our friends or family or loved ones somehow uh, contracted uh, COVID-19 due to our want to play a show. I think that's also like the nice part about having been a band right. for 10 years is that we had so many shows under our belt that um, this pandemic gave us, you know, just yet another opportunity to look at 
and think about how we want to present ourselves to the world. Um, but then also how we want to better target um, our community goals as well, you know, that, um, you know, the blessing and the privilege of being able to, like not having your income tied directly to the music that you make, you know, all three of us have careers outside of music and things that we're passionate about. And, uh, you know, I think we're really fortunate in that way that, um, you know, we've tried to make space for life. I remember in previous bands, you know, um, something that other musicians would commonly say is, you know, I was going to do this and this and this, but life gets in the way. Um, and then I think once I got to a certain age, I realized for myself how backwards that sounded, that as much as I love music and, and, and love being a musician and thinking of myself as a musician and playing with these, with these guys, um, that's not how I wholly define myself. Um, I can't just, you know, I can't just define myself, you know, as an artist and a musician um, they, because that's not, you know, not only is that not fair to me, but it's also not fair to, uh, you know, the people around me who love me and support me no matter what it is that I do. Right. So, um, you know, I've been very candid with these guys about, you know, like, I, you know, I want us to do this forever. Um, and a big part of being able to do this forever is knowing that we have to create that space, you know, for all of us to live and to have lives and to go through trials and to have our own personal triumphs, you know, we need space to, you know, be our own people so that, um, you know, when we, when we do have, uh, the time and the occasion to be able to do this, you know, it's a more joyful, um, and a mo moment of appreciation, you know, um, because, um, I agree with these guys, you know, I, I certainly would love to, um, see them more often. Um, and I know that coming out of COVID-19, uh, coming out of this pandemic and getting on the other side of the vaccine distribution, there'll be ample opportunity for that. Um, because I think we just continue to honor one another and give each other the space to be the people that we truly are, you know, like we're not just showing up to, you know, band practice to a band space and, going through the rigors and the business of being in a band, you know, like we're, we're not immersed in that every single day. And it's important to be honest about that, that we all got other stuff going on. Um, and, and so just being able to hold space for one yeah, another in that way make, makes it such a treat to be able to continue making music with these guys, just because, you know, we, at this point, we get to speak a musical language that I know I couldn't, speak with anybody else um and and the coop sessions is um proof of that just reaffirms that you know i think we all came away from that experience feeling positive and then watching the video back and seeing like how well it was mixed and how much more nuanced everything was you know um just being able to hear all these audio details that i don't normally hear when we perform that was just so special and it reminded me of of just how special this experience is between the three of us so mm -hmm. definitely um well yeah guys i just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me um i honestly had to kind of rain this interview yeah. and i feel like we would have talked for like three more hours if we would have just kept going um that's just a good thing obviously um and yeah i i just really appreciate you guys and what you're doing um and yeah you guys uh marty obviously especially you guys just make me feel seen, uh, you know, being the black kid listening to like unconventional types of music, uh, bands like you make me feel uh, validated and feel uh, like, oh, yeah, this this is OK, you know, and I, um, yeah, I just have so much more respect for you guys after speaking with you for the first time and just learning more about you and uh, definitely moving forward, listening to this album more, I'll have even more of appreciation than I did before now that I've been able to learn more about you guys. So, um, yeah, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for talking with me. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what you guys do next. And obviously, no pressure when I say that. I just say from a, I say oh, oh don't worry, you're not the only uh, one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah, thanks, Cameron. It was really great talking to you. And obviously, like, you know, like, I, I appreciate all the questions and the, the thought that went into them and also the discussions that we had, like, before. Yeah, thank you so much for your patience <laughs> with me getting in here late. I appreciate it. It had a long work day today. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, to, I totally get you, man. Oh, uh, yeah, obviously, when COVID, when we're all safe, I would love to meet you guys in person to kind of just pick up some brains about stuff and just have a conversation for sure. Cause it thanks, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that. and thank you. Thank you for saying what you said, because awesome. I think yeah, that's, that. you know, what I've always been after, you know, especially as a, as a black person and all alternative forms of music is, is that same kind of connection and validation uh, being seen. Uh, so I just appreciate um, what you do so much with Beyond the Sound and Beyond the Booth. And uh, thank you very much for um, responding and having us on. We appreciate it.